0: Thanks, Johnny. Uh, I want to take a second to just show honor to Johnny and the men's breakfast team. Uh, Can we put our hands together and say thank you to these guys for doing this? Thank you, Johnny. We did. I love that picture made me look so much cooler than I really am and so much tougher and more rugged. Everything I was wearing, I had to buy like a few weeks before because I'd never done anything like that. I'd never even camped outside before. And so please don't let that fool you. Uh, I'm not nearly that rugged or masculine at all. Um, Today, just to kind of let you know what we're going to do, I'm just going to be sharing some things that God's been doing in my life really over the last year, things that I'm seeing in myself, things that God is challenging me on. Uh, and a lot of it's coming out of one sort of section of scripture. And so I'm going to read this, kind of set up what we're going to talk about today, then I'll pray. Uh, I'll share a little bit of my story and then we'll get out here and have a great day. So uh, this is Genesis chapter three, and this is one of the most pivotal moments in human history. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know that God had created everything. He had made it perfectly good. And then we get to Genesis 3, where all of a sudden, God's perfect and beautiful and good creation is going to begin to be corrupted and begin to to be messed up by sin. And so let's just read this. Genesis 3 says this, "'Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "'Has God indeed said, "'You shall not eat of every tree of the garden?'' And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This is the part that really jumped out to me. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Brothers, I believe with all of my heart that every one of you in here have a purpose from God, a high calling, something great that God wants to do through you, both at home, in your workplace, whatever career environment that you're in. I believe that God is ready to do more through you, more through me than you could ever imagine or dream possible. Jesus came to save us and to give us a holy calling and to send us out. To be his image bearers in the world, to make a real difference. And I see God calling me and I see God calling us, but so often I find that this great call of God, He comes and He calls us and He sends us, but yet so often I find myself and so many of us hiding not stepping into the thing that God's called us to be, not being bold, not being the leaders that God's called us to be. The scripture says in Daniel chapter 11 that towards the end of the days that the people who know their God shall be strong and they shall take action. And God wants men who know Him, who are strong and who take action, who speak for those that have no voice, that take bold steps of leadership and of faith, that step out into the unknown, that pioneer, that innovate, that are living on the edge and doing something that's making a real difference in this world. But so often because of our fear and insecurity and because we care a little too much about what other people think, we find ourselves hiding and not quite stepping into everything that God's called us to step into. And this is something that's just been stirring in me and working in me over the last year and so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the journey I've been on share some challenge that God's been challenging me with. There's an interesting story uh, in Jesus life. You probably heard it. It's really interesting to me. This is like such an important week. It's the Holy Week, the week that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's on mission. He's on point. He's about to save the whole world by going to the cross, dying for us and being raised from the dead. And one of the first things that he does is he's walking into the city and he sees this fig tree and he goes to see if there's any fruit on this tree. When he gets to it, he finds that there's no fruit on the tree. And he looks at it and he curses it. And he says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the tree withers up and dies and his disciples are blown away at what's just happened. And at first glance, you're going, what in the world is this all about? I mean, Jesus, we got more important things to do here on Holy Week than to curse this fig tree. But if you remember back to the story that we just read when Adam and Eve had sinned against God, the first thing they did was they hid, they went to a fig tree, got fig leaves to cover themselves and to hide. And I think Jesus is coming into this city of Jerusalem and he's saying, no more hiding, no more fig leaves. I'm cursing this tree. It's time to step up and step out and be the men and the leaders and the followers of Jesus that we're called to be. No more fig tree, no more fig leaves. Time to step up and be who we're called to be. And this is what I feel like the mission is for me this morning, to curse the fig tree and to say, no more hiding for us. Let's step up and be the men and the leaders we're called to be. And so let's pray. uh, And then I'll share a little bit of my story. Father, I thank you so much that I get to be here with these men that I love so much. And I know you love them and I know that you wanna speak something to us today. And Lord, no one here needs to hear my voice. We're here because we're hungry to hear your voice. I'm so humbled and honored to get to speak to my brothers. And I pray that you would work through this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as Johnny mentioned, I used to be an ice hockey player. That was kind of the the big thing in my life, the thing I was pursuing, the thing that I thought one day I would do forever. Uh, I started playing as a kid. I played all over the place, lived in different places around the US and even spent a couple years living in Canada, uh, playing up in North Bay, Ontario, Canada. Do I have any, is there any hockey players in the house? I'm just curious. One, (laughs) two, okay, I didn't expect many. I wasn't expecting many. There's not a lot around here, but I was an ice hockey player. I was so, I loved it. I had so much fun with it. I poured my heart into it, worked my butt off to get uh, as good as I could get and played all over the place. Uh, Anyway, I ended up going to college in Massachusetts where I was playing ice hockey. I was a goalie, by the way, for those of you that are wondering, how does a guy like that size, how is he like any good at hockey? Uh, I was a goalie. And so uh, I was playing hockey in college and and I'm going to skip through a bunch of stuff. But at some point during that journey of me playing hockey in college, God really started to get a hold of my life. And even though I knew God, and even though I loved God, even though I believed in God, I hadn't really truly had what our pastor, Pastor Witt, would call a real Jesus journey, a real Jesus experience. And in that moment, kind of my sophomore, junior year of college, God really started to show himself to me, opened my eyes to who he was, transformed my life from the inside out. That's a whole nother message altogether. But Jesus began to just change me. And I saw him and fell in love with him and was completely changed by him. And in the process of all that, I started to wonder and I started to realize that maybe God had a different step for me than what I was doing. I had been playing hockey, I had been pursuing it. I was getting a degree in communication because uh, what I was gonna do is basically live the dream my whole life. I was gonna play hockey as long as I could. And then when I retired someday, uh, I was gonna be a sports journalist, sports broadcaster where I talked about hockey for the remaining uh, decades of my life. And so that's what I was studying. That's a degree I got, communication degree, uh, media arts and journalism. That's what I was studying in those days. And so this was a huge shift for me when I started to sense God calling me to take a next step towards ministry. I didn't even know what ministry meant. I had no business getting into it. In my mind, I was so unqualified, so unequipped to take this step, but I felt like this is something God was leading me to do. And so uh, through many prayers and getting wise counsel, eventually, Uh, I decided, okay, time to lay this life down and to step into this new life of faith that God's calling me to, to get into ministry. I didn't know what it was going to look like, uh, but I turned down all these offers that I'd had to take next steps with hockey uh, and take next steps with schooling. And I graduated and I came back home kind of wondering, what am I going to do here? My family went to church on the move and I did too. I just didn't live in town. So I wasn't able to come as often as I wanted to. Uh, And in the process, I went and sat down with Pastor Greg Scott. Many of you probably know who he is just to get counsel because I just thought, if I'm gonna step into ministry, I better know that I know I'm called to this because I don't wanna mess anybody's life up by stepping into something that God has not called me to. And if there's any man on the planet that's gonna be straight with me and tell me I got no business doing this, it's Pastor Greg. And so I'm gonna sit down with him, ask him what he thinks about all this. And he gave me some incredible counsel, talked with me, loved on me, encouraged me. Uh, And at the end of it, he said, hey, Ian, what if... We had an internship here at Church on the Move where you could work for me in our pastoral ministries department. And I was like, are you kidding me? That was not even on my radar. I could actually be at Church on the Move. And so I prayed about it, he prayed about it. And eventually we took that step together where I started as an intern here at Church on the Move. Uh, and it blew me away. I was so humbled So honored to be here. This is the very church that God used to change my life, the church that God had used to open my eyes to who Jesus is, who had given me a sense of calling and purpose and who I am. And so I was just floored that God would let me play a small part in what he was doing at this church and at this ministry. Uh, And so I start as an intern, eventually I get hired. uh, And then not that long into it, about three years into being on staff here, I get asked to be campus pastor up at our 180 campus. We're about to launch it in 2015. uh, And the team asked me, we want you to be the campus pastor up there. And I'm just floored. Here I am with all of these people that in my mind are my heroes. These are my spiritual heroes, people I look up to, people that have spoken into my life, people that I have so much respect and honor for and hold in such high esteem. And now I'm a peer and now I'm around the table with them. And now I'm having conversations and meetings with them. And I just feel super unqualified and unequipped and like I'm not supposed to belong at this table and in this circle with all these giants of faith that are around here. The other thing, if you've been here for a while, you know that a lot of the people that lead around here have been here for a really long time and have been making a difference here for a really long time. And I feel kind of like the new guy coming in from the outside, like I got no business being here. Everybody was so kind to me and loved me, but internally I'm wrestling with this. And so I go up to 180 to lead this campus going, what are they thinking sending me up here to lead this group of people? And I I remember this, this was too funny to me. Um, Before the campus launched, we launched on October 25th, 2015. The week before, we did just a vision rally. We were going to cast vision for this campus, pour into any of our volunteers, our Go Teamers that were going to serve with us, and give them a bunch of vision for where we were going to go and what we were going to do. And so I met with Pastor Witt the week before and said, hey... I've scheduled this vision night. We've got all our volunteers coming. I want you to be there so you can speak and pump us up for where we're gonna go. And he's like, you know what, and I'll be there. And I'm all excited about it. He calls me back to his office 10 minutes later and he goes, hey, no, I'll be there. I'll pray over you, but you lead this campus. You need to speak to these people. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? You want me? So now not only am I gonna have to speak, but now you're coming too just to watch me speak? This just got 10 times worse. I never should have invited you. And so he shows up so gracious. He prays over me and Jess, my wife, uh, and then he walks off stage and I'm standing there like this with a mic. I had never done anything. Like I had a very, very minimal speaking experience or anything of that nature. And the week before I had prayed like for hours, God, what do I say to these people? I'd read like the entire Bible in a week. Just please give me something, you know, nothing. I got nothing all day. I'm praying and looking and, ah. Uh, and so I get up with like no clue what I'm going to say. I'm just like, okay, God, here we go. And I get up and I speak to this day. I have no clue what I said. I'm just up there speaking and these volunteers are probably like, oh, great. This is our guy. Okay. And so anyway, one of the things that someone had counseled me on that I didn't pay attention to, and I should have, is they said, anytime you speak, you need to know what's happening right after you. Because a lot of times what you do is you'll focus so much on your content and what you're going to say uh, that you won't think about how you're going to end it. And then you'll get to the end and go, oh no, where am I supposed to walk? Where am I supposed to go? How do I end this thing? And you don't know your transition. And I had completely ignored that counsel. So here I am speaking about who knows what. And of all of our volunteers and go teamers and it occurs to me I asked the worship team to sing after me but I have no clue how to set this up or how to get out of this so I just start blabbing and walking off stage inviting the worship team on they come on they're like trying to start singing but I'm still talking and walking this way like this and everybody's like what is going on anyway on the stage is I don't know what these things are called if you're a musician you might know what this is there's this little like pad on the floor where the guitar player plugs his guitar in and it's got the little pedal and all that. And it's on there and everybody can see it except for me. And I'm walking this direction and it's right there and I'm just kind of blabbing on and on. And so we're going to worship. And God knows what kind of theology I was saying about worship as I'm just blabbing and walking. And eventually the moment happens that you all know it's coming. I totally trip on it and almost go down. And I look and there's Pastor Witt on the front row just losing it, laughing. <laughs> Here's this grand campus pastor that we're sending up there. He's tripping, he can't even get off stage. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, these volunteers gotta be thinking, oh no, we gotta go to another campus. I thought it was gonna be the answer to like a Church on the Move Jeopardy question. Shortest tenure as campus pastor at Church on the Move. Who is Ian Wilson? This is what I thought my future was after this moment, this night. But God was gracious, our volunteers were gracious, Pastor Witt was so gracious. Uh, And I've been up there for three years. But one of the things I started to notice in myself is because of feeling a little inadequate, comparing myself to all the the other amazing leaders at this church, questioning inside, am I really supposed to be doing this? Do I really have what it takes to be leading a campus at church on the move? I found myself surrounded by a calling surrounded by purpose, surrounded by opportunity to make a difference, surrounded by all this opportunity to do good things in the lives of people, to glorify God, and yet I hadn't stepped into it. I got the title, I got the team, I got the campus, but there's decisions that I'm not making. Conversations, I'm not having. Steps, I'm not taking. Dreams, I'm not even letting myself dream because I don't feel like I can step into that. Not me. And so here I am, and little by little, I'm just becoming a passive leader and just letting stuff happen. And here I am with a calling all around me. And God's calling me to be active and to be bold and to step into it, embrace who he said I am, be who he's called me to be, and I'm not, I'm back here. And from the outside, it might look like, oh, that guy's living with purpose. He's living with calling, look at him. But inside, I'm not doing anything. I'm just letting things happen, being a passive leader. And it's creeping into my home. It's creeping into different areas of my life. And finally, about a year ago, it started to occur to me. All this started to stir up in me. I started to realize what was going on. I read the story of Moses and it stood out to me so much. Something that was very interesting to me. The first time the scripture ever says that God was angry is in Exodus chapter four. Now, before I tell you what happens in Exodus chapter four, I want you to stop and think about what's happened before Exodus chapter four and all the times it doesn't say God got angry because this blew me away. So in the book of Genesis, there's some crazy stuff that happens. We've got Adam and Eve sinning against God. We've got Cain killing Abel. We've got God wipes out the whole earth with a flood and never once does it say that he was furious or angry or his wrath was kindled. It says he was grieved in his heart, broke his heart that he had to do it. We got Sodom and Gomorrah, Tower of Babel, some weird stuff that happens with Judah's sons. If you've ever read that story, there's so much that happens and never once does it say God's wrath was kindled until we get to Exodus chapter four and God has appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He's giving him this calling where he's sending him back to Egypt to rescue the people from Egypt. Moses is called by God to be the deliverer of the people of Israel. They've been in bondage and God has this amazing, extraordinary high call for him. And Moses keeps coming back with these reasons why he can't go. And God is so patient and gracious with him. And Moses says, man, I can't speak. And God's like, who made man's mouth? I can help you. I'll teach you what to say. And he has all these different arguments for why he can't go. And he gets to the end of this little interaction with God. And he says this in Exodus four thirteen. He says, God, please send someone else. And for the first time, it says the wrath of the Lord was kindled against Moses. First time God gets ticked off. He's got this amazing calling for this man. He's calling him. He's saying, come on, buddy. I want to do something great through you. I want to deliver these people through you. I want to set my people free. I want to do something great. And Moses is saying, that's wonderful. Please send someone else. And God is just burning, saying no, not just against Moses, but burning for Moses, saying, Moses, you don't realize how fulfilling this is going to be to you. You don't realize how exhilarating it's going to get to be to step into this and to do this. But Moses is wondering, ah, I don't think I can do this. And that resonates with me so much. If you read forward in the story, Moses does something that's been a huge picture and imagery for me in my life. It says that he finally agrees to God's plea and he says, okay, I'll go. It says he loads his family up on a donkey and then there's there's this pause. And it says this, it says that Moses looked and it says he took the rod of God in his hand and he set out towards Egypt. Now, the rod of God, that might not mean a lot to you. The rod of God represents the authority and the calling and the purpose that God had given to Moses. And here's Moses thinking, okay, God's called me to go do this. God's called me to speak up. God's called me to have that conversation. God's called me to lead my family, whatever it might be. God's called me to step into this and to be this man that I know deep down he's calling me to be. Here's this rod, and it says he just picks it up and he starts going, and that's been such a good picture for me because so often this is how we feel. We don't know all the answers. We don't know how everything's going to work out. When you're leading in your business and you feel like God is calling you to take some pretty aggressive steps and you don't know how it's all going to work out, man, just take the rod of God in your hand and move forward. Just like Moses, he says, okay, here we go. Here goes nothing, and he starts walking towards Egypt, and what happens after that is amazing. God starts working. Miracles start happening, and people start getting set free. And this is what he wants to do in us as well. Uh, this is what, the, I'll share a picture of what the rod has been for me because this kind of is a, is a picture that I've been kind of doing in my own life that, uh, that kind of illustrates all this. There's a parking space behind 180, the campus that I lead. Right behind the campus, it's like the best parking spot and there's a little painting on it that says pastor. Now that might not mean a lot to you, but I want to clear some things up for you. Uh, it does not mean a pastor and it certainly doesn't mean campus pastor. It means exactly what it says, pastor, as in Pastor George. That's his parking spot. Don't park there. I ain't a fool. I'm not gonna go up there as the new guy leading 180 and pull into that parking spot and park there. But uh, one of the things I noticed after leading 180 for a couple of years is it started occurring to me, he never parks there. That spot's open every weekend. And I come in on Sunday and I refuse to park there and he doesn't park there. And all of a sudden I started to go, oh my gosh, what a good picture this is for my life and what I'm doing. Here's why he doesn't park there. Because he asked me to lead 180 on Sunday. He, didn't, he shouldn't have to be up there. He and Pastor Witt sent me up there and said, take our authority and lead that campus up there. So we're not even gonna go up there. We're calling you two, we're sending you two. And so for a season, I don't do it anymore. I ain't gonna have him catch me up there in that spot. But I, for a season, I would pull into it. I'd park there, Hmm. And it's my way of saying he sent me here with his authority and his name to lead this people, to lead this campus, I'm parking, I'm stepping into it. And that's a small way for me to step into it because here's what I've noticed. And this is where this gets pretty serious. If this is gonna sound so simple, but we'll we'll talk about it in a sec. If you don't park there, either one, no one parks there, right? Or two, someone else does. Here's what I've noticed in my life. If I don't step into my leadership, if I don't step into the calling that God has for me, either A, no one will. In our homes, if God's calling us to love our spouse, to pour into our children, to love our children, if we don't step into that, either no one does and there's chaos, because when there is no vision and there's no visionary leader, the people run wild, the people perish. If we don't step into that, no one does. And there's a gap people get hurt, things get messy if we don't step into it. Or even worse, someone else does. If we, guys, if we don't speak into the lives of our children, someone else will, and it's probably someone that doesn't give a rip about our kids if we don't step up and lead in our businesses that God's called us to lead and take those steps, it's possible that someone that doesn't know the vision, that doesn't care about the heart of what you're trying to do, might start speaking up and might start drawing people away. If we don't step into it, if we don't park there, it's possible that we leave a space open for someone else to. That's a serious matter because God has entrusted people to us that are precious to him. And he's calling us to steward them and shepherd them and love them well. And when we don't step into the things God's called us to, we open the door for others to step in as well. We don't want to see that happen. God's called you to lead your family. God's called you to lead in your school or your industry, whatever it might be. He wants to give you wisdom and favor and open doors for you so that you can be a blessing where you're at. He wants to bless you so you can be a blessing, but we got to step into it. We got to be bold and step into it. And so, for a season, I started parking there. And this is what I would just ask you: Where is God calling you to park? Like, what steps is He asking you to take? Is there a conversation you know that you've needed to have with your spouse for a while that you just maybe haven't had yet? Is there something you feel like God's leading you to do with your kids, but maybe you haven't done it yet? Something you're supposed to speak up and say, you're in that meeting every week and every week the same thing comes to mind and you never say it. Or that idea that's kind of like haunts you at night that you feel like, oh, maybe God's leading us to do that. But I don't know, I'm gonna leave that over there for a sec because it makes me a little nervous because I don't know how it's all gonna work out. What is it? What's the step that God's calling you to take? Because here's what I've seen in following God. I'm talking about stepping into your calling, be who God's called you to be. But that happens when we're just obedient with the small things in front of us every day. God has a step for us today. Your calling is not just some future tomorrow thing. There's a calling on our life today. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice in it. This is the day that God wants to work through us and do special things through us, do special things through you and your family, whatever it is, in your home, in your small group, in the church, God wants to work through us, not just tomorrow, but today. And whatever step he's put in front of us today, if we'll take that, we'll be obedient in those things, we'll get the big things right. So that's really the question today. What's the little thing God's asking you to do today? Because if you do that, all the other stuff is gonna, you're gonna start developing a habit of obeying God, a habit of taking steps of faith, a habit of being the man God's called you to be. This is something I noticed when I played hockey. Um, Any of you that have played any sports, this is not just unique to hockey, any sport that you play, you'll see this. You go up levels and the same thing happens every time you go up to the next level. You get really good at the level you're at and you think you're so good. And then you move to the next level and you go, oh my gosh, these kids are really, really good. And you, it stretches you and you have to get better. And I noticed this about certain kids when I was younger and when I was a teenager, there were certain kids that were so arrogant and so cocky because they were thriving at whatever level that they were at. And so they didn't put any work into it. They got lackadaisical, they got passive, and they were pretty good. And guess what? They never went anywhere. They were great at a bad level, but God is calling us to a higher level. And if we'll be faithful in this level, wherever God has sent you today, if you'll be faithful there, it's actually preparing you for the next thing that he's calling you to. If you'll work for me in hockey, it was single A, double A, and triple A. If you'll work your butt off at single A, you'll get to double A. If you'll work your butt off there, you'll get to triple A. There's steps that God wants to lead us into, but it starts with us just being faithful right here, right now, if you'll step into the little thing that he's asking you to do today, eventually you'll end up at that great thing that you know he's put on your heart to do. And so even though we're talking about calling and purpose and great things that God wants to do in your life, it starts with the simple day-to-day things. Maybe he's asked you to start reading scripture a little bit more. Take this step. Read a couple times a week. Maybe you know you've been called to pray a little more. Do it. Maybe there's a prayer he's asking you to pray that you've been nervous to pray so you haven't prayed it yet. Pray it. Take the step, whatever step God's asked you to take, take it in bold faith. Be active. Be a man of action. Be a man who believes God. Be like Abraham who went out to a land that God was calling him to, not knowing where he was going. Can we just be honest as men and as leaders? We don't know where we're going. We are not always sure where God's leading us, but let's take the step of faith anyway. Let's be bold and move forward and trust God and believe that he's gonna open doors and do great things as we obey him. This is also something I wanted to say about this whole thing. Something Pastor Witt said a couple weeks ago and it applies to every, every arena of the Christian life. He said, Jesus is both the model and the motivator of everything that we do. If you're a Christian man, if you're someone who loves God, who's following Jesus, he's both our example and he's also the one who gives us the power to do the things that he's called us to do. Back to our original story, God was calling for Adam. Where are you? And Adam is found hiding. And from that moment forward, as men, so often when God calls, we're hiding. Like Saul, if you remember the story, they're looking for the next king of Israel. Saul had been anointed. They're trying to find him. And they can't find him. He's hiding. He's hiding from his calling. He's hiding from the thing that God's sending him to do, calling him to do. And they finally, they're finally like, "God, where's this guy?" And he's like, "He's over there. He's hiding." And God calls him out, and they're like, "Oh, dude, come out here!" And he's the next king. He's hiding. But so many of us do this. We hide. We don't make the call. We don't engage the conflict. We don't do what we're supposed to do because we're hiding. And so, flash forward to the days of Jesus. One man messed it all up for us in a garden. God came looking, and he was hiding. Jesus, years later is in a garden, and this temptation to hide starts falling upon him. The weight of the world is on him. All the sin of humanity is starting to come upon him. He starts to be super aware of the fact that he's gonna be cut off from his heavenly father. He's gonna go through incredible suffering. He's gonna go to the cross and take the sins of you and I and save the whole world, but it's gonna be very painful and brutal. And he's in this garden, and he cries out, Abba, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And in that moment is one of the, easily one of the most pivotal moments in all of human history. If Jesus doesn't step forward, if he doesn't step into his calling, all of us are dead in our sins without hope and without God in the world. No eternal life, none of it. It all hinges on this moment. And once again, we got a man in a garden who can either hide and shrink back or step into the thing God's calling him to step into. And Jesus finishes that prayer by saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done in my life. And he steps up and he steps into it. And when this mob of people with torches and lanterns and weapons come looking for him, he's waiting for them. They don't find Jesus behind a tree in a garden and capture him. They come and he's already there. And he says, hey, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. They all fall on their backs and he just stands there. He could have hid on countless occasions and he never did. He was standing there waiting for them in a garden. One man hid. One man obeyed, one man stepped into it. And Romans five says this, by the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, but by the obedience of the one man, the heavenly man, the many will be made righteous. And because Christ was obedient, now you and I have been affected for all eternity because one man stepped into his calling. And the same is true about us. There's people that are counting on us. Our families are counting on us. Our church is counting on us, men. Our church is counting on us. Our groups are counting on us. The industry that you lead and that you serve in is counting on you and counting on me to step into it. Who's counting on our obedience? Christ was obedient and it affected all of us. And when we're obedient, it affects people as well. One more picture I wanna give you. I'll wrap this thing up. Samson gives us an incredible picture of Jesus. Samson was a guy that had no issues stepping into the strength that God had given him. But very often it was all about him. He would always fight and use his strength really just for his own purposes, often for relationships that he shouldn't have been in. It's a really fascinating story. You can read about it in the book of Judges. But at the end of his life, Samson gets captured. His enemies are a group of people called the Philistines. They pluck his eyes out and he he loses all of his strength and he's in a dungeon. And eventually, these Philistines throw this huge party in one of their temples, a temple to a false god. And they call Samson out, they all get really drunk, and they say, hey, let's celebrate because our God gave us our enemy, Samson. And so they bring him out to do whatever party tricks he could do. And he's got no eyes, he can't see, and he, he asks this little boy that's next to him, he says, can you help me find the pillars of this temple? So the boy leads him, and he puts his hands on the pillars. And he calls out to God. Once again, very selfish if you read the prayer. He says, Lord, strengthen me one more time that I can get these guys back for the eyes they took from me. It's all about him. And God strengthens him and he pushes with all of his might. And it says that these pillars shatter and the temple comes crashing down on all these people. And then it says something super fascinating because Samson had taken out a ton of Philistines in his life. It says that he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. What in the world does this have to do with what we're talking about? Samson finds these pillars and he pushes with all of his strength. Does this remind you of anything? The cross. And it says that he killed more in his death than he did in his life. Jesus ministered to a lot of people in his life. John said that if I recorded everything one by one, the world couldn't contain the books that would be written about him. But as much as he did in his life, he saved more in his death than he did in his life. And the same will be true about us when we're willing to lay down our life for the sake of other people. Lay down our life for the sake of the people God's entrusted to us. Lay down our life for the glory of God and to serve people. When we lay down our life, we'll affect so much more people than when we try to hold on to it because our calling is so much more than just about us. This is about glorifying God and making a difference in the lives of people. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Men, if we'll step into our calling, but realize that our calling is not just about us. It's about a purpose that God has. It's affecting people. Our kids are counting on us to do this. The people we work with are counting on us to do this. There are people that don't even believe in God who don't know it, but they're counting on us to do this to step into the calling that God has for us so we can be bold, share our faith, share our story, stand up when we need to stand up, be silent when we need to be silent, engage in relationship when we need to engage in relationship, let God lead us. But when we're bold to take those steps, when we lay down our life, even if it hurts, even if it feels like death, we can have a greater effect in that than we ever will by trying to control and to save our image and all these things. So this is my encouragement. Be bold, take the step God's called you to take. There's something amazing he wants to do through you. The scripture says God's able to do immeasurably more than anything you could ever ask, think, or imagine through his power that works in you. This is not about us. When you step into it, God works through it. I'm reminded of another picture. I'll give it to you, uh, and then we'll wrap this sucker up. Um, when uh, I got a few people on my team that have started speaking publicly recently, uh, and they were asking me, is there any you know anything you could share with us? And one of the things I said was God's grace is it feels like it's always super last minute. And so I said, God's grace is a lot like the spotlight on the stage, you'll be standing off on there. Uh, and in a church setting, you always speak after worship. And so during worship towards the last song, everybody starts engaging and worshiping except for you because you start to go, oh no, the worship sets almost over. That means I'm going to have to go up there. Oh God, did I prepare? Do I have anything to say? And all of a sudden you start having all these thoughts flood your mind and you start crying out to God, God, help me. God, speak through me. God, work through me. Uh, And it's amazing. The first time I started doing this, I expected this peace to just rush over me and this grace to flow me and nothing happened. And I'm standing in the audience going, oh God, have mercy. God, have mercy on these people, love them, be gracious to them because I don't know what's about to happen. And sure enough, I walk on stage and there's that light and it's waiting for me. And when I step into it, it's like, oh, there it is. There's the grace. There's the peace. And this is what I found in following God. So often that confidence that we're waiting for to take these steps that we know we're supposed to take is actually waiting for us to take the step. There's a light, there's a spotlight, there's a grace for you. And if you'll just step into it, All of a sudden, the grace you're looking for will be there. The strength, the wisdom you're looking for, it'll be there if we'll just be bold and take that step. And so uh, I wanna pray over all of us and believe that God's gonna help us to do this. And I'll invite Johnny up. Father, I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you for letting me share this word today. Help me to continue to grow in this and help every one of us to be bold as a lion, to take the steps that you put on our heart to take. God, in a room this size, I could never pinpoint the steps that each person is supposed to take, but you can. And I pray, Holy Holy Spirit, that you would do what you do and personalize this message to each of us so that we can be bold and act where you've called us to act. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Love you.